From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 176 of the Killing It podcast we are actually live this is killing it live brought to you uh, being recorded at channel con 2020 actually sitting around a table from one another so we thought you guys would enjoy the actual live feel but if it sounds a little different now you know why. And, and actually if you go back to uh episode one ryan talked about a bunch of guys sitting around a table that's what we're doing so we're actually doing that we are bog set now, now <laughs> we're gonna have a little fun with today's question of the day because it's very relevant for right now gents i forgot something what did you forget on this trip. <laughs> See, so uh, we all say we are travel professionals. We've been there and done that. Uh, apparently, though, we've forgotten how because I forgot not only to bring my watch charger, but I actually forgot to bring my CPAP adapter. So uh, sleeping has been interesting. Oh, I, I, so I actually, I almost forgot my toiletries <laughs> when I was leaving, but I did remember those. But I forgot to test the hookup for my camera, so I don't have an L-shaped USB-C, so I had to like rebuild the whole rig for my, <laughs> for my live stream, like in the room last night with parts I had. So I forgot the cable. It's I good needed. to be a nerd. Oh, God. <laughs> so I actually didn't forget anything, but I left something out on purpose because I'm traveling after this. And so uh, I normally pack a fair number of socks, but this time I know I'm going to the CompTIA Sock Collecting Collective. So I know many vendors are going to be giving away socks, and I'm going to leave here with more socks in my luggage than I came with. So you got to plan ahead. Leave room for tchotchkes because, you know, we come here for all of the deep research and insights on the future of the industry, and also for free stuff with logos on it. I am not taking a single thing with logos back, <laughs> period. Well, <laughs> some of these socks may be one use and then left in a hotel in uh, Amsterdam or <laughs> parts well, of Well, on that note. Linode, a top infrastructure as a service provider, has resources specifically for helping MSPs explore the alternative cloud. Discover this growing market, one of the best-kept secrets in building a scalable, thriving, modern managed services provider business. Learn about the cloud provider landscape, improving KPIs, security, and more in Linode's free ebook, The MSP's Guide to Modern Cloud Infrastructure, available now. This resource and more at linode.com slash mspradio. All right, let's, I'm going to set us up with the first topic, and let's start a little bit with kind of the educational theme. So I, I did some coverage during the, my live stream talking about the element of education. Todd Thibodeau let off both his and the manual meeting yesterday and today when we're recording, talked about their focus on education. He lined out five different actions for members to take, but the real big takeaway that I left with was how invested CompTIA was in building more skilled people. They've got a, you know, one of the best known certifications in, in their A plus certification. Their statement was that they're very broad with very lots of entry level stuff, but not a lot when it comes to more advanced. And so their vision is to move in that direction. That was also then backed up with Scott Galloway's converse, conversation around the changes in 
the education market, how it's ripe for disruption, and his thought that certifications would rise. Guys, we're sitting at literally somebody at an education conference. Uh, is that right? We've we've even talked about the value of a liberal arts education before, but the message here was, oh, skills skills and certifications can actually be up value. What say you? Well, so Galloway did make a very strong case that it, you know there's a he, he listed all the benefits of college education that have to do with healthcare, long life, staying out of prison. Right? There's many many things that come with just college, but Part of the argument was also that we have required certain things that are not really required. So we're asking people at entry-level jobs to come in with lots of experience and lots of education, and that's absurd. I mean, I think all three of us have been in the environment where a lot of job, on-the-job training is really how you build not just the, the technicians you want, but the culture you want, and those two go hand-in-hand. Hand. And so I, I really like the, the move towards specialized education, but... And that doesn't mean we're going to move away from college. We just don't have to require a college degree for an entry-level job. Well, remember, one of Galloway's big points was the cost versus an admission, was the like the premium nature. And he's looking at it saying it can be very disruptive for those entry-level people to come in with skills-based certification versus because of the high cost. Right. We are all products of the lower-cost version of that. So we do have some biases around that. Yeah, see, I, I am a big believer in continuing education and I don't think it's just a question of adjusting the end point of your education process right continuing education is also a question of adjusting the beginning point you do not need to begin with must have five years experience doing what we do in this industry you do not need an advanced degree to work in help desk you do not need an advanced degree to work in most of the technical roles my question that I have to CompTIA, to the industry in general, is if education in a practical skills-based way for new people, bring in new end users, new staff for solution providers, that's all good. But are we looking beyond technical functions, right? I sat there and listened to the, the conversation today and I said, that's brilliant. I like the number of courses. I like the depth of, of resources and trainers that they're putting together. I think there's a grand vision. But if it only covers how to be a network engineer, how to be a cybersecurity person, how to be whatever, that, I'm, that's all good. But we should also be teaching how to sell technology. We should be teaching how to run the finance division in an MSP so that you know how to bill on continuous recurring revenue. If we're not educating the non-technical people, our industry by definition stays just an outsourced IT department and we are not fully robust and full dimensional businesses, that's on all of us, right? I think we can give that education in bite-sized chunks. You start when you are young, you don't have to wait until you've been through this process and then never stop, right? Keep going with the continuous education and it's amazing how much of that is on the job, not in well, a classroom. In, in both Todd's presentation, which I'm going to try to find a link to the, the five action points, I wrote down number three because I want to participate, but uh, in both that and in Galloway's presentation, talked about micro certifications, micro education, like pick a thing and, and figure out how do I up, up level my skill on that one thing. I'm a huge believer in that. So I want to link two other things to this. And, and Todd said this several times in, in his discussions over the past few days around this. The first was this element of you need to open up the aperture for your hiring. 
Most of the time, you're looking for people in tech with experience, must come pre-made, and we're not willing to hire enough the person who's 50% of the way, 60% of the way, that I think opening that aperture and be much more willing to build versus buy. Like you may have to build some of your employees, but that's a good thing. And I actually want to link this with a conversation I just had with Laura Rainack about diversity on business tech. And we were discussing the hiring process and some of the challenges around making your hiring more diverse. And she said something that's really stuck with me and more importantly, really stuck with my wife who did, did editing. That's why I want to highlight it. She mentioned the fact that oftentimes in hiring men, will present that I can do eight of the 10 items and those last two will be no problem. I will learn them. And women will also present it as I can do the eight things. And, and, and will it, will it, with some acknowledgement of I don't have the other two. They are saying the same thing. Both people are saying, I do not have the last two, but what you're hearing is the confidence of the man that particular case versus the typical woman in that circumstance. And we have to get over our biases, both on untrained people and also the other kind of diversity problems where you may be not hearing people correctly. So Todd had a stat yesterday, which um, he didn't give a source for it, but he said that, you know, on average, men will apply for a job if they have 60% of the requirements and women will not. And it's like literally sort of there, there's this sense of, you know, I'll just learn the rest. Right. And so there's a, almost a self-imposed difference there. But you have to you have to be able to tell people you are welcome, even if you don't meet all these requirements. Right. Because I have, you know, when I put on an ad, I have all these things. But I say it would be nice if you had these not required. And we're pretty clear about that. And we also make a big point that we will train for what you don't have. If, if you're a fit with culture, we will train you on the technology. But that's the key bit is you will train and add on. And oftentimes in the hiring process, too many people are not willing to do that bit. And then they're complaining that they have no candidates. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And, and, and this is where, so we've been having a lot of conversations in the field about the idea of customer success, right? It, expanding the land and expand business model into, you've got a sales role, you've got an adopt role, you've got an expand role, and that's a customer success function. Not customer service, customer success. We've been doing a lot of work to try and profile. Okay, well, what does that human look like? Well, they are not entry level, they are not mid-level, they are a consultant level resource who can meet with business executives measure and verify the success of what they're already getting from your technology, and then outline the expansion paths, the roadmap to the future. That's a really killer resource. And if you do it correctly, that person makes as much or more than a sales rep in an organization. Okay, where do we find these humans? If you put out a job description right now looking for those humans, you will get crickets. Nobody's qualified for it in the industry, and you're going to miss out on the value. Uh, the, the terminology, we heard it several times from Todd and from Galloway, over-specking. Stop asking for the sun, the moon, the stars, and that perfect unicorn candidate. Be willing to teach them up, and that is called competitive advantage. Well, and we have to remember we're in an industry that changes every 20 minutes, so you can't hire somebody 
for the technology you're going to sell next year because you don't know what it is. <laughs> I know I don't know what I did uh, the next year for the last 25 years. I've constantly been learning new stuff, uh, and I think it's okay. I think that's what makes our, in our industry interesting. Let's give our new candidates. You also that have same. a degree called an MSU, which is make stuff up. Yes. Yeah, I was just about to say, you guys are planning? I'm just making this <laughs> stuff up as I go. <laughs> Sadly, that's it for topic number two. Or topic number one. Topic number two, we want to talk about knowledge and sort of generically uh, where we stand in our industry and in, in some sense in the world at large. I have noticed here, sitting in a couple of ECs and then talking to somebody from a, a third uh, EC. CompTIA is a great organization that has so much knowledge, they don't know how to find it all. And I, we were having a conversation with the folks in cybersecurity about, oh, we wanted to come up with some changes to this trust market, da, 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 da. We needed a thing that was on a specific topic. And we did some looking around and discovered we have a four-year-old document that we can update, and it's on the topic. Like We paid for it. It's 20 pages long. It just needs to be updated. You know, there's so much of that that goes on where we have to realize large organizations have difficulty looking at the past, even for one minute, and seeing the resources that they've already built. Large organizations, small ones too. Like, so. This is this is one of those bits where I'm, I'm actually gonna gonna reveal the curtain a little bit of my own business and help people with some. So I'm in the content generation business. We all three of us are at some level. Mine is very much the audio to the video, and and now of course the newsletters and stuff. I'll give you some element of the there. We have to have me and the people that I work with have to have an access way of finding this stuff. We heavily rely on organization tagging and searching so that we can cross-reference and pull back old stuff and reference it because we can't just always be me remembering that I did that. <laughs> right. Right. And so you actually have to make sure that the stuff is published, tagged, cataloged, organized in a way that you can do it and be diligent about training people to go look for it rather than always feel the need to recreate. Finally, always finding as many ways as possible to redeploy the content in multiple ways in different forms so that it is easier to find. Well, that, ha that makes a big difference. And it's a never-ending story about silos of information. The information needs to be cataloged and organized, and you need to have a culture that says, go look and see if we've got it before we go build another one. See, recently I was inspired to do a cataloging exercise of my own and go back and figure out how many different topics have I created, curriculum for training modules, workshops, uh, PowerPoint presentations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I, I spent a weekend and I stopped counting somewhere around 275 different topics that I've worked on, at which point I realized that's not a compliment. That, that, that's not actually like, wow, you know a lot of stuff. What that means is you don't re-leverage your assets very effectively <laughs> at all. You need to knock it off and use the things that are there. Now, I'll apply that to what we've seen here at, at the event this week. Sat through a session on regulatory compliance built on a cybersecurity platform. My, my initial takeaway on that was... This is a much more mature conversation about cybersecurity than we have had in the last several years at these events or across the industry. I think we've learned some stuff. I feel confident that we've made progress in the world of cybersecurity and we've moved beyond this is the software and this is what the software can do. And we've arrived at a point of 
So how do you turn that into a policy? How do you implement that in various verticals? How do you actually test and verify that things are being used effectively? And I raised my hand in the session and I said, this is cool, these are great resources. And you pointed me to one that was particularly focused on HIPAA in the healthcare industry. And I said, where can I find that same information on financial services, personally identifiable information, PCI, et cetera, et cetera. And I got crickets. Now, I know from personal experience, those assets exist in the CompTIA world. Somebody has created them. There is a council that went through those projects. There's been consultants around and nobody in the room knows where they are. And we all just, you know, roll our eyes. Okay, we're going to go back and recreate it again. Oh, man, the industry has advanced. We've actually succeeded in learning. Let's use that out there in the real world. And I would bring this down to the, the MSP, the IT service provider. Your role is to either add confusion to your client's life or, better yet, help them filter the universe. So you should absolutely have a newsletter. You should tell them, point out what's important and what's not important when they hear about technology in the news. Help them make decisions. Part of having a never-ending conversation with your client is having roadmap meetings where you talk about these things are coming up and here's what you should do to be prepared. Here are some information you can use to move forward and make decisions. They rely on you as a professional to help filter their universe. I got to quit, but I go, because the only way we figured out how to make money is the second one. If anyone figures out how to make money on the confusion, I'd really like to know. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm good at that. Sell one. NFTs. Like, look, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to also add, add to this a little bit. You know, the, the principle of don't always think you have to create a new thing. In fact, there's a, there's a real value in the repetition of a message multiple times. The reuse of it reinforces it. Most people have not heard your message, or they may not have heard it the first time, or the second time, or the fourth time, or the 20th time. Good presenters, good communicators use the same story over and over and over again. And that consistency is a feature. It's not a bug. This is true. There are people in my you know, audience who have heard some of my stories so many times they can repeat them back, right? Oh, here, here I know a lesson on that. Let's, let's go to Carl. Repetition <laughs> never spoils the prayer. Like that. Well, <laughs> and that's the, the only reason that the, the audience knows how to sing along at the rock concert, right? They've heard it before enough times that it actually sunk in. Now, I will apply that back to our world of not just delivering and technology solutions, but also selling technology solutions. As an industry, we're searching for the magic answer. How do you sell cybersecurity? How do you start the conversation with the customer about X, whatever it is, you don't need to reinvent a new story because it already exists. Somebody else out there already figured out how to sell each one of these things. And I know that because billions of dollars have been spent on each of these technologies. You're not here to like write a new song and, and come up with a brand new way to sell anything. Talk to the people who've done it and learn the way that it works and then just you know, be a cover band, right? Like, so it's funny because I got to push back here and go, I would agree with everything except your example. I would counter and say, I don't actually believe we've got a good story around cybersecurity. 
Thematically, I would agree with your idea, and I would have said if you pretty much picked about any other topic <laughs> other than cybersecurity, I would have given it to you. But our failure of end customers to do stuff around cybersecurity tells me I'm still okay experimenting here because I don't think we have a good story. I just talked about Jenny Easterly at CISA on, on Business of Tech and her precision and dedication to new storytelling around this literally rebranding section. She's even talking about rebranding cybersecurity to data care or or re or, or the way she, she doesn't talk about multi-factor authentication. She talks about keys and like and, and much more tangible stories. I'll agree with you on the song. I will tell you that I don't I'm not going to give you that example. We're all, it's all still jazz at this point in uh, in the cybersecurity world. It's, you know, it's improvisation. It's the chaos. That, that is means the there's no refrain. Right? Exactly. There is, there is no repetition yet, but I think you're right. We need to get to that point as an industry. You're, you're not the first person to think about cybersecurity. You're not the first person to sell networking or storage or server platforms. It's been done before. And we have great resources and assets. And by the way, to our previous topic on, we should invite into our industry people who are not net, not yet from our industry. Well, gee, they don't have any background in technology. Uh, I'm thinking we've got a whole portal full of all of these things. We can teach them up. It's not that's not the hard part. And we I just, can bring in new people. I want to get in one quick note before this topic is over, and that is that we're we're not ragging on uh, CompTIA for being disorganized with information, but. Because if you were here, you're surrounded with people who are looking at the future, looking at emerging technologies and so forth. So uh, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. But being here and being in this conversation, I think, is completely worthwhile and will give you things to take back to your Right. We can pick a cup. We can pick a cup because we're here, not because that, they are unique with this particular yeah, We'll see problem. you at the next conference. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'll kick us off on topic three. And, and I want to throw this up because one of the things that we're here was talking around looking for the the next thing right now i'm gonna say i sat in on a metaverse session yesterday uh, and i'm i'm already metaverse skeptic okay okay uh and so i'm looking for some you know was expecting a certain degree of an expert i should have known the first time somebody calls themselves a futurist that i was going to be failed uh, <laughs> But, but uh, so the presentation was, was around the, the, the opportunities in the metaverse. And it was a little too much parroting of press releases, but more importantly was a, uh, a gobbledygook of, of buzzwords without understanding. And what I wanted to have this sort of discussion to be about is, is, is our take on this around the metaverse that it is gobbledygook or is that it is well-defined enough or are we still searching? What are, you, what are you guys hearing based on this? And I'll weigh in too. So I, I would say what's interesting is that, that we have people talking about this as if it's a thing out there that's going to happen to us when in fact we have like, you know, take my daughter as one example and Dave is another. Like my daughter has... A dishwasher that talks to her it's connected to the internet she has a washing machine and a dryer and a garage door opener connected to the internet as well as her refrigerator her nest system right and she just talks 
to her world and her world responds appropriately. Uh, Dave is a similar thing. He's got his entire house lit up with all of these things and he tells the TV it's time for a certain show and the lights go here and over there and whatever. And, and I think we are beginning to enter the metaverse as kind of a universal, always on, around us technology that we interact with comfortably. And yeah, there's some new pieces that are gonna come down the road and half the stuff where people say this is your future is going to be BS, but some of it is going to happen. Yeah, well, and, and this is the thing, right? Why do we get together at conferences in the technology industry? Why did we each get on an airplane and come here? It is to learn about what's next. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we have jobs in the technology industry. We're not just here to service yesterday's innovations. We are here to identify, to describe, and then to deploy tomorrow's innovations, things that don't yet exist. So we're hoping to do that. Now, 15 years ago, we came to this particular event, and we learned a lot about this thing called managed services, and now it's out there. Ten years ago, we came here to start learning about this thing called cybersecurity, and we were like, we're already late, and we still haven't solved it, right? Now, this year, we came with a reasonable expectation that somebody would be able to explain this big next that bajillion-dollar companies have bet their entire future on called the metaverse, and we did not get that because it is not a thing. I, I will say specifically, I appreciate Carl's description here, the difference between what will be the metaverse and what Scott Galloway described as the Zuckerverse. The Zuckerverse is what he wants you to believe will be this all-encompassing world that not only did he design and build, but has uber control over. He's going to build the environment and the access point to get into the environment. Mark is going to tell us what is the metaverse. No, he's not. Because there will be multiple platforms, multiple environments, even from a video game perspective, multiple universes and interactive spaces. And those things need to be compatible and interoperable, and they need to transcend the digital world and the physical world. Those things are coming along piece by piece, and it is not the roadmap of Mark Zuckerberg that is about to become the metaverse. He's going to try to shape your understanding of some things, and nobody has yet given us a good explanation that any through any of the three of us believe that he's on to something that's about to be right. a trillion dollars. But I do buy Carl's definition that there are pieces, and it's you might not realize it, you're already partly into the metaverse. So I'm going to, going to offer the first version of that that I think has, is where Matthew Ball has written his new book on the metaverse and the, the explanations of why you should I actually tell people that there's a lot in there that's useful. His de Ball's definition of the metaverse is, is, a, is the rendering of 3D online. That we're moving into where, where you are representing spaces, you are able to represent concepts, ideas, things where all the, where a 3D model is important. And there that is the extension of redefinition of virtual worlds, and you can see that extension. And in particular, there was an example that was super interesting to me that I wanted to share. And that is that in at the Hong Kong airport, they're now actually running a complete 3D simulation of the entire space in real time where they're tracking movements within it of all the components, right? So that means people, stuff, planes, 
all of it. It's a complete, it's, it's one of Ryan's digital twins, right? Like, yeah, Dave said digital twin. Right. So, so but, but, ima- but imagine this is a continual simulation where they're tracking everything. So they use cameras, they're, they're, they're Can you imagine the computing power? Exactly. Here's what it's used for, right? In a, an example would be is they can actually now simulate the changes in the flow of the airport. So, for example, uh, they, there's a reason you have to change. The gate isn't working. Gate 83 isn't working. You now need to decide where the plane is going to go. The old methodology would be, well, you move it to 82 or 84 because it is like right there. Right, that that would be the old methodology, but that has knock-on effects. Right, that has effects to your schedule. Do you know all the people? And what they can do now is they can actually simulate it. They can say we're going to find out where the best place is to move this based on the current location of the people, their luggage, where the planes are, what's going on in the tarmac, what later planes will be, and we can simulate out all of the options and determine that no, instead. We're going to move it to 78 because that will be less disruptive for the plane. We can move everything around. It's an easy. Most of those people are still having lunch or whatever it is, and they can simulate that out. That immediately crystallizes for me of the, oh, yeah, that's not only super useful, but it is very tangible and executable, and you can see all of the components, and I understand why a virtual representation makes so, sense. So that makes perfect sense for an industry and for an enterprise. But at the commercial level, when you're talking about end users, I think, you know, we've talked about the splinter burst or the, the splinter net. I think there will be a splinter burst. I think when you think about if somebody is mostly a gamer or whatever, that's their enjoyment, they're going to have a different, uh, you know, virtual environment than I will. Uh, if somebody is mostly interested in education or, or documentaries, they're going to have a different environment, right? And so it depends on the world that you want to surround yourself with. And I think we will each create our own metaverse based on what we do. And yours may have technologies that simply I never touch. Yes. See, and, and this is where... I. In a world of hype cycle definitions and understanding when we are in the launching of new technologies, at the industry level, we are still screaming up the front side of the hype cycle. We're not yet at the peak of over unrealistic expectations. The industry wants to go there. I want all of you to yank that line right back down into the trough of disillusionment and go, okay. Your blah, blah, blah story is not tangible. It is not functional. It doesn't have any applicable use cases. So I'm not listening until we figure that out. And then here's where we can help. What are those use cases for your customers where a real 3D environment, whether for representation or for simulation, where would that actually make a tangible difference? And also, by the way, Mark, um, in my metaverse, I'm going to have legs. I I insist on that. I'm I'm going to need to have some legs, but I'm going to need specific use cases. The digital twin is a phenomenal environment for creating those kinds of use cases, but they're yet to be authored. Mm, That sounds like a cool opportunity for some technology futurists in training. (laughs) So I guess the last thing I would say is you never know where you are on the hype cycle. And so... You know, you should think more in terms of stuff that your clients understand, which is, are you an early or a late adopter? You know, why, when do you buy into technology? You have a comfort level and your clients have comfort levels. And you need to have that discussion with each of your clients and make sure that you've got a plan. Because you can't see all the way into the future, but you can see next year and you can see a little bit about the year after that. And it's kind of fuzzy after three years. But 
you know, that e emerging world, help your clients get to it and get through it. And that's why we keep coming back to these events to pick through the mountains of resources and blah, blah talk to find out what is actually real and what we can sell next year to our clients. Sadly, that will do it for episode 176 of the Killing It Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.